0: Hi everybody, welcome to Automatic Merchandisers Vending and OCS Nation, the podcast for the convenience services industry. I'm your host, Bob Tulio. Today, we're gonna talk about the state of the office environment. Remember when we talked about 70% being the new 100% when referring to the office population? Right now, I think many operators would be thrilled with 70% of the 2019 office population. Over the past two months, I've been talking to several operators about the current state of the office environment. Are they coming back? Are things moving in the right direction? Will it ever feel like it's 2019 again? Are we doing better than we were six months ago? You'll hear from some of those operators in this podcast. And let me tell you, you're gonna get some very interesting opinions. Part of those operator interviews Two must-hear interviews, one with Matthew Marsh from Las Vegas and one with Judson Kleinman from New York. Some very interesting opinions on the state of the office. Then, of course, there are the press reports coming out almost daily on the fact that people are working from home and they love it. And if you look at these reports, you can convince yourself that no one will ever go back to the office that will be working from home forever. We will look at the latest reports on how some companies are demanding that employees get out of their jammies and get back to the office and how it is being received. We'll also explore what some of the experts have to say on why offices in Europe and Asia are doing so much better than we are in terms of getting their employees to return to the office. We'll also look at how employers are using pantry service to lure employees back to the office and what that really means for operators. Finally, we'll offer some strategies on what operators must do to succeed, considering what is either a slow transition back to the office, or what is a reduced office population for years to come. I've been hearing that in some markets, mandatory work of the office days are being implemented, and it's having a positive impact for operators. I asked Arthur Siller from Evergreen in Seattle,
1: if that's happening in his market i would say we're seeing the the exact same thing you know i've i've always thought that that dials going to keep turning as this as as covid waned and, and this return to work hybrid model went went on and certainly we've seen that same pattern where clients went from you can choose two days a week that you come in then it changed to these are the days you must come in and now it's changing to we're going from hybrid to to coming fully back to the office. Starbucks corporate is is doing that here in Seattle, and they've you know had a position for the past few years that they weren't going to do that. So we've certainly seen that change as well. And, and I'd say over the past six months, it's been very positive in terms of employee counts at the office.
0: A March CNBC article talks about why American workers aren't returned to the office like their international counterparts. It turns out there are three big reasons. Americans are more likely than people throughout Europe and Asia to live in the suburbs and have bigger homes, making it more appealing to work remotely from home. On the flip side, working from home is less ideal and less common in major cities where micro-apartments and intergenerational households are the norm, like in Hong Kong, for example. The second reason is a lack of public transportation. Americans who live in major U.S. cities still have their own commuting issues. Even in big cities with public transit, like New York and San Francisco, people live farther away from city centers to save money but trade lower rent for long commutes. And the third reason, a tight labor market that benefits workers. U.S. workers may have a unique leverage situation in the continuously tight labor market that's favored workers during the COVID economy rebound. As of January, the average unemployment rate was 3.4%, about half of the European Union's jobless rate, and layoffs hovered around 1%, both near record lows. Workers are using that leverage to resist return to office requirements. And that's why office attendance has returned to 70 to 90% in Europe and the Middle East and around 80 to 110% in some Asian cities, meaning some workers are spending more time in the office now than pre-COVID. Meanwhile, in the Midwest, John Holden from All-Star Services is still grinding it out and making the best of the current office situation. I asked him if things were improving. How do you feel about the state of the office population? Do you see a comeback right now compared with six months ago?
1: Absolutely compared to six months ago. I see you know office populations increasing steadily, but not drastically. You know, from everything we've seen here in Michigan. Uh, workplaces and employers are doing everything that they can to try to entice their populations to come back in these beautiful office spaces that they've spent all this money renovating and updating uh, throughout the last few years. And really within the last six to eight months, we've seen a huge push to try to drive butts in seats, if you will. The response has been mediocre uh, at best, I would say, and really dependent on the incentives the employer is offering, or I guess what I could say is kind of carrot or the stick scenario, right? You know, they're saying you can come back to the office. We've got a great new coffee system. We've upgraded our break room. Everyone has new desks, new amenities, while as some other employers are saying, you come back to the office or find a new job. So In in my territory, we are seeing a lot of inconsistency in the response from the workforce. But, you know, we are doing our best as an operator to set ourselves up to be successful in any environment, whether it's a workforce where they're working three days a week at 30 percent capacity or they're back to five days a week, 100 percent capacity. It's all about setting standards, maintaining those standards, and making sure you have clear partnership communication with your clients. Would
0: you say the prognosis overall is, is very positive in the sense that you see it's a steady climb?
1: Yes. Yeah, I would say that it is a steady climb, a slow and steady climb back to working in a, in a workplace rather than primarily remote work.
0: What happened when Farmers Insurance new CEO told employees that they must work in the office three days a week. He was hit with thousands of angry responses from Farmer's employees who took to the firm's internet social media platform and posted messages filled with angry and crying emojis, according to the Wall Street Journal. Farmer's is an L.A. story. On the other side of the country, New York was hit hard by COVID-19, and I asked Judson Kleinman of Corporate Essentials how things were going, and what he sees for the future, his answer might surprise you. It certainly surprised me. Obviously, we've gone through a
2: uh, a transformation over the last, you know, three years. But I, I do believe strongly that it's it's already we're already seeing it. But it, it's gonna it's gonna gain momentum where most of the people will be in the office most of the time going forward. I think within within another year or so. If not sooner, I, I believe so. Most of the time, there will be some companies and there are some roles that can be remote and and probably should be. But uh, you know, when I look at my business, you know, we're in a people business. We we deliver services because of what we have here and the uh, camaraderie and culture and and teamwork that we have here. And I, I think I think it's vital. And you're seeing a lot of these uh, CEOs now, you know, pushing back and you know demanding that people come back if not. Uh, you know, full-time, certainly the majority of the time.
0: Well, you know, we listened to you, Judson, because you were one of the first people. You really sounded the alarm early. You recognized the fact that this was going to be a major issue. You took immediate steps. It's got to feel very good for you now to project that the vast majority of the people are going to be in the office.
2: I, I, don't, uh, I don't need the accolades. What I need is the people back in the office buying products. That's what makes me happy, you know, um, and, and to that, you know, extent, I think, you know, uh, we all as operators um, have to think outside the box and be creative because you can, I don't think you could still keep doing things the same way. You have to, you know, present a, a valid argument on why, you know, people need to keep these products in, in their break room, why it's an important um, part of the business. And not just look at it as, as I said before, as an expense, but rather an investment in your people. Uh, good quality coffee, you know, uh, a variety of snacks, and maybe fruit and some and beverages. I think it's vital to you know a, a good working environment. I think it really speaks volumes to how the company feels about their people.
0: At the 2023 NAMA Show in Atlanta, Christine Cotton from JLL said one of her company's objectives is to make an office environment commute-worthy. That operators needed to find the wow. The wow. What's going to bring employees back to the office. Is it a misconception? Here's what Matthew Marsh from First Class of Vending and Coffee in Las Vegas had to say about it.
3: Clients want to use this upgraded service to try to attract their employees back to the office. I think it's a joke. You either come back to the office or you get fired. What's happening is we're upgrading people's coffee per their request. We're putting in higher end snacks for free per Mm -hmm. their request. It's not working as an enticement. It's rewarding the people that are there, but it's not getting them back to the office. And that's what the clients were assuming it would do, and it's not.
0: Interesting. So So you're basically saying that once a company realizes that pantry service and upgraded amenities are not a magic bullet to bring people back to the office, then they back off again. Correct. And I'm already seeing that. So are, are you basing your employee count back to the office on L.A. market primarily and Las Vegas market from what you're seeing?
3: Well, I'm basing it on all the markets we're in
0: which are
3: all of Nevada, we're northern and southern, right? Right. All of Southern California right, and the greater Phoenix area, which, you know, you've got a good mix of businesses, you've got a good mix of different types of industries between those three states. But I'm seeing the same trends in all three, which is odd. You usually usually see differences, but I'm also talking to people across the country, and they're they're starting to say and see the same thing that I'm seeing.
0: Hmm. Because Judson, I I was talking to him, and I was surprised because – You know, he was the one, one of the first people who really pulled the trigger on cutting back in, and this was like the very beginning of the pandemic. And it was very conservative about it in terms of employee layoffs, very quick uh, to pull that trigger. He says he's really starting to see a move back to the office in New York. He thinks by the end of the year that that 70% number, we're going to go way past it.
3: I would agree with him in certain industries. Industry, yeah. industry specific and having people in there three days a week mandatory mm-hmm. doesn't do us much good.
2: Okay. Um, but I
3: would agree. I, I do see the tide turning, but it's slow. Yes. Um, it's going to take my estimate two years before we're back to pre pandemic levels. If we ever get there.
0: Okay. Good. I like uh, that. Of
3: people going to the office.
0: So I asked Bill Moxie at the NAMA show, What's an operator to do to succeed in this market condition?
1: We have something at PepsiCo called sophisticated selling. And it's really a function of making sure you ask all the right questions first to understand how you solve for their needs. So is there a difference between what they ask for, or what they want and what they need, right? So you have to solve for the needs. And the needs could be things that are hard to figure out. But if you solve for those needs, and a lot of it's going to tie back to category management, and having the right products in the right place not just what you already have in your warehouse and not just because it already sells
0: in response to that same question ryan mcwarder of 365 retail markets had some useful advice for operators
1: if you're not pre-kitting at this point you're you're going to be left behind probably um I, I don't know if you're filling off the truck still but if you're going to get into these other industries and you're going to try to continue to operate hybrid routes you have to pre-kit so I would say that's one thing. I think we, we need to go after pricing with clients. I know that's a touchy subject. Uh, hopefully there's some clients here hearing it from me and not you. How do you offset that increased cost? You raise prices. And so, uh, you know, I'm always amazed when I go into your micro markets and I still see, a, you know, a Pepsi for, you know, a dollar or dollar $1.25 uh, should be 2 dollars
0: $2. I think no matter what business you're in, it always comes down to the same three solutions. Ask the right questions make some operational improvements, and make sure you're getting the right pricing. That always seems to work, doesn't it? That's it for now. On the next Vending in OCS Nation, we'll talk about one thing that every operator should consider doing in the month of July. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Automatic Merchandisers Vending and OCS Nation. Until next
1: time, I'm Bob Tulio.